0: Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. edition of the alex and dylan basketball power hour this week i am joined once again by the dylan in the alex and dylan basketball power hour dylan hughes dylan how are we doing this week
1: you know i'm doing okay it, this is a whole other side of me because first of all we're doing it at night yeah so this, this is the this, first time we're
0: doing it at night since like august like, Yes.
1: yes, this we, we've been on the early kick for quite a while now. And I'm also um, overcoming a cold. So the energy may not be on spectacular letter, uh, levels like it usually is. But I'm doing my best
0: here. That's okay, because next week we will be at probably even crazier energy. And so let's talk about real quick. Let's just lay down what's going on in the NBA. So NBA, they... Um, are gonna end the trade, the lift. They're gonna lift the moratorium on trades. Sorry, I work today, so if my if I'm all over the place, forgive me. But they're gonna you're gonna be able to make trades on November sixteenth. You're gonna be able to draft on November eighteenth, and then the free agency period starts on November twentieth. So that's going to be a wild wild five days and dylan um we're doing this pod obviously on the 11th of november the league will look a lot different on the 20th on the 22nd of november i, I promise you that
1: yeah i mean there's just a breaking uh shams bomb that russell westbrook wants out of houston now so which isn't a shock i mean the fact that their entire team is turned over essentially as far as management and coaching. Um, it's not shocking, but I mean, that is going to be fascinating because not only, not only does that mean that Westbrook is probably going to move. It also means that, um, Harden may as well, because there's been some, so with Harden, Harden is going to want out too with, with Westbrook wanting out. So, you know, all, all the crazy trades that we're used to seeing and, uh, July we're going to be seeing in November as well and I mean you know crazy trades happen every year but Westbrook and Westbrook and Paul happened last year obviously but if we can get Westbrook and Harden this year I mean that would be nuts
0: Yeah I would love to see I mean we already knew Chris Paul was moving right like we've been talking about this since the since the Thunder have been eliminated but Westbrook like we kind of knew that there was a possibility right because Fertitta is notoriously cheap. And this might come up again in the Houston Rockets section of what we're gonna do, but Fertitta's notoriously cheap. So trading Westbrook was a possibility even without him wanting out. (laughs) So Harden might want out too because, I mean, let's face it, get out before it gets really bad. And if if they both leave, then you have to imagine Houston is gonna take hard but then again, they owe their picks to Oklahoma City. <laughs> they owe a lot of picks to Oklahoma City. I don't know the protections offhand. I, I mean, I literally just found out about this Russell Westbrook thing. So, yeah. I mean, this is going to be a real, real interesting time for the Houston Rockets. And <laughs> it's going to be fascinating because if they have to blow it up, they're fucked. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, not having their own draft capital obviously sucks for tanking purposes, but at least, like, you do have two very equitable stars. Like, you're going to get a great return for both of those guys. Um, I mean, the Russell Westbrook trade value is interesting because it obviously he's obviously not the player he was. Um, but Harden is still really at his peak, so I think you could probably fetch quite a nice...
0: It's an interesting point you were making about the draft capital. I was looking it up and the Rockets really, I mean, Daryl, this should come as no surprise, (laughs) but Daryl Morey did an excellent job of protecting the picks. I mean, so it looks like they owe, they don't owe a first round pick this year or they owe the first round. They traded the first round pick to the Nuggets. Next year it is top four protected, but the Thunder have the option to swap whoever has the best pick between themselves, the Rockets or the Heat really really confusing (laughs) but they that's one of the options then 2022 they did they trade it oh that's the second round pick okay 2023 they that's the second round pick 2024 um, it's protected top four again and then 2025 or 2026 it's protected top four so they owe it's not as many first round picks as I thought they owe three first round picks and like you were saying, the what they could get for a Harden, that could be massive. Um, especially, like, if you wanted to trade him for Philly. Like, Harden's worth a Ben Simmons. You don't trade Ben Simmons for much, but you absolutely trade him for James Harden. I don't care what anybody says. Now, would that be an interesting um, dynamic between Embiid and Harden? Sure. But it'd be interesting to see for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you can get if you can get Simmons for Harden, I don't see many other trades worth making for Harden around the league. Like we've talked about Simmons a lot and like he, he obviously would be better with like a better space team. And that's why separating him and Embiid makes so much sense. And in that case, I mean, we don't know what Houston would become after that trade. Like, the team is going to be so different because you don't have D'Antoni, you don't have Mori, So, this this small ball, shoot 53s a game, may not be a thing anymore. Um, that would be a system that would fit Simmons really well. But, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see exactly what this Houston team would be. Uh, may, I mean, maybe they keep everyone except those two guys that they're probably going to trade. But, I mean for Houston like I could see them trading those two guys and still being competitive like I mean look at look at what the Thunder just did this year. I mean they they traded their two best players and they they got better. I mean record wise and you know they weren't a really a great playoff team but neither was the team before it. So right. I, th- there's definitely a chance they could kind of tear down here but still not be in like a rebuild mode as far as being, you know, a really compet or non-competitive team.
0: I mean, look at the Thunder. They actually took a team to seven games, which I don't I don't think they've done since 2016. So, you know, I mean, Westbrook's style of play like by himself isn't isn't enough to win. But I mean, before we move on to what our concept is for today, I saw that there's a possibility that he might get traded to the Clippers, and if they could pull that off, I would love that for them. I would love that for them, especially if they can keep Paul George. Because then, I mean, you obviously don't know how Westbrook would react to being the third guy. Because he would be the third guy in Los Angeles because Paul George has already been there. But, like, having someone to actually set up Kawhi and Paul George. I mean, Paul George had his best season with Russell Westbrook. No one can deny this. Absolutely no one. He played by far the best with... With Russell Westbrook, so you re, you reunite those two. I think that that'll uh, have some great results. But let's go ahead and move on to what our our topic is for the day. So if you listen to our last podcast, you know that we talked about the biggest need for the lottery teams and Boston because Boston, again, is in the lottery because of Danny Ainge magic. But we're gonna talk about the rest of the teams plus the Grizzlies. We're gonna go in the draft order because that'll probably make the most sense. And some teams traded their first round picks. We're going to go by where their picks landed. So like Houston, for instance, traded their pick to the first round pick to the nuggets, but they're 22nd. So we're going to talk about them about sixth or seventh, whatever, wherever that comes in the pecking order. But to start, let us go to the aforementioned Grizzlies because we have not talked about them in a while and they're both a fan favorite of ours. So Oh, also, because in the interest of time, we're going to try to speed through these, but we'll have two spotlight teams. I should have mentioned that, but better late than never, right? So, Dylan, what is your biggest need for the Memphis Grizzlies?
1: So, it's pretty clear, and we talked about this during the bubble, but it's it's shooting. I mean, they have a, a such a good core. Like, Morant, Jackson, and my boy, Brandon Clark, like, that's a great trio moving forward. Um, but as we've discussed before, having Jaren Jackson as your best three-point shooter is not a good thing. And it's not because Jaren Jackson's a bad three-point shooter. He should just not be your best three-point shooter. It's as simple as that. And there was a lot of instances, especially when the Grizzlies were making the playoff push, where Jaren Jackson was just like he – was, he was on the perimeter the entire game, basically – And again, like he had some awesome games because of that, because when he does get going, he is really good. But he is supposed to be a big man in the paint. And I know the game is not just big man in the paint anymore, but still you don't want your centers always just floating around the three-point arc because you need them to be like that. That's not a recipe for success. And Dylan Brooks, we both like him, but, you know, and he's a good he's a good piece to have, but he's probably better suited as like a bench, um, kind of chucker almost. Um, chucker and, is
0: definitely how I would describe Dylan Brooks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did he's, not improve his stock at all in Orlando. <laughs> no,
1: and again, I I I like a you know he just it's just the games where. The game the games he looks really good are where he's obviously making those chuck those like 30 foot threes. You know, I mean he can he has games where it's like wow he has thirty-six points because he's made eight threes. But then there's the other side of the coin where he's like two of fifteen and it's like there's just way too much variance there. And like having some sort of a reliable, steady shooting force would be great. And obviously that guy is right next to him in Kyle Anderson. Oh, wait.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Slow-mo. Don't
1: hate on my guy, slow-mo. Again, again, much love for slow-mo, but mother of God, just don't ever shoot the ball, (laughs) like, please. Wait, 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 wait. wait.
0: Are you you telling me the guy that takes, you know, five seconds off the shot clock to release a shot should not be shooting threes? Is that what you're telling me?
1: (laughs) That is exactly what I'm telling you, Alex. It's like, and again, like these are all players I really like. Like Tyus Jones, I like him mm-hmm. a lot. I do not want him shooting a ton of threes. D'Anthony Melton, I think, can eventually become a pretty good shooter, but I don't know. He's He's been raw coming out of college, and I still think he's he's going to take some time with the shot. He's pretty damn good everywhere else, but the shooting again – Not quite there yet. Grayson Allen, I mean, maybe, but not yet. Josh Jackson, hell no. (laughs) I mean, like, there's just – they have so many good players on the roster, but just no – just not enough shooting at all. If
0: this – if the team, the way it's constructed now, was constructed in, like, 2005, they would win 50 games. Oh, yeah. Like, the team is talented, but in all the wrong ways. (laughs) Like, they have a ton of guys I love with the ball in their hands, who but who can't shoot. I hope Ja can develop, like, at least a half-decent pull-up jumper because you really need that to thrive in the league. And his jumper did not look pretty for most of the season. I think he could grow into it because Ja is really talented. <laughs> but let's not act like that they're, you know, he's Steph Curry. And then, like you said, Kyla Anderson was probably their second biggest, like, the guy who handled the ball second most. And he, this is kind of like the Kevin Durant problem in Oklahoma City, where Kevin Durant was such a great shooter that he was put on the perimeter way too much. When your best use for Kevin Durant is what he did in Golden State, where he was, you know, driving and kicking and slashing. That's the best use for Kevin Durant. But because Oklahoma City was so shooting poor, they had him on the perimeter. And I'm not saying Jaron Jackson is Kevin Durant. But let him dribble, you know? Like, I like his off-the-dribble game. I like his, you know, in-the-paint game. He's got a good, you know, let him be an in dominant inside presence because he's 6'11". He's 6'11". He could totally dominate inside. And that's why you have Brandon Clark just to stand in the corner and shoot corner threes. You know, we love – we know um, – what's his name? I don't remember the Grizzlies coach's name. Taylor Jenkins, that's his. That's his name. We know he's a bud disciple. Just have Brandon Clark stand in the corner like – bud does with brooke lopez you know we just i feel like the solution is a lot easier than what memphis is trying to do but i for mine i put three-point shooter any three-point shooter at all i said even current day steve novak (laughs) would be better than what they have because i mean i guess they did trot out kind of a modern day steve novak and anthony tolliver and he helped (laughs) Remember how we were talking about before the bubble, like Anthony Tolliver? He actually helped their team.
1: <laughs> hey man, I like Anthony Tolliver a lot.
0: I do too. He's a solid vet.
1: But but again, like these are the we keep we keep mentioning names that should be like the worst case scenario for fixing your shooting.
0: Exactly.
1: That, that is that there therein lies the Memphis Grizzlies problem right
0: there. If they could shoot worth a lick, they'd have been in the playoffs. That's that's literally it. And obviously, Jaren getting hurt, that was massive. I was yeah. so sad. Like the day he got hurt, I was so sad. But even then, they fought like hell in that game against the Trailblazers. Now that's because the Trailblazers couldn't stop it. <laughs> they couldn't stop me if I was trying to walk to the walk to my car. But <laughs> that, but I mean. The Memphis defense is pretty much is pretty solid for being such a young team. Give them another like shooter or two. If they could trade for JJ Redick somehow, like please. That would I'd say that would elevate them. I I would say they're a playoff team but there's like 12 playoff teams in the West. So <laughs> It's going to be tough in the Western Conference this year. I think they should kind of tank personally or, like, not, like, tank, but maybe go for, like, 30 30 wins instead of 40. You know, try to get that jump to, like, the number two like you did in 2019. I don't know. It's going to be a tough, interesting situation for the Grizzlies, and I think we'll see where they go from there. Um, The Orlando Magic is our next team, and they're an interesting team, and by interesting, I mean, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. They could go 75 different ways. I Okay. This is actually what I had in my notes. A fucking clue what exactly you are. Maybe trading Aaron Gordon to a team that can actually use him. It is disgraceful what they've done with Aaron Gordon. Like, so first of all, part of the part of the problem might be in Aaron Gordon's own head, right? Like, he thinks he's probably a lot better than he actually is. But the other part of the problem is, is that Orlando literally has a bunch of talented guys that they never figure out how to use... And then they go off to other teams and become great players. Victor Oladipo, Tobias Harris. The list goes on and on, right? Like, I could go for days. The only players that have actually turned out – like, the only talented players that have turned into something worth a damn in Orlando is Nikola Vucevic. And somehow, some way, Michael Carter Williams turned into an actual NBA player in Orlando. Like, that's it. Maybe Fournier. Maybe if you give Fournier. But Fournier, to me, is, like, average shooting guard. Like, maybe a little above average. But, I mean, I just – I don't know what else there is to say about Orlando. I mean, what do you, what did you have for Orlando?
1: Well, first of all, Ken Birch has turned into a superstar in Orlando. So I don't want you to ever forget his name ever again.
0: Of course. Ken Birch. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot such slander on my part. You know, it's really, really shocking as,
1: as, as, as a co-host for one of the best basketball podcasts on earth right now, you have you just have to hold yourself to that standard, okay? So I want you to study some Kembridge tape tonight. Hey, Team Canada!
0: Hey, he was like one of the only guys to play for Team Canada last time they were in a um, international competition. I remember that.
1: Exactly, he's he's an international superstar. But as we talked about last week, I mean. Like, DeMar DeRozan just makes a lot of sense, but obviously that requires that requires one of these two things happening, either the Magic or the Spurs wanting to trade him or him just opting out and signing there. Um, I don't think the Magic even would have the ability to straight-up sign him. They probably would have to make a deal of some sort, um, maybe a sign-and-trade or something. But, I mean, Aaron Gordon should have been traded probably two years ago. So that is something that could definitely happen. And as far as teams, like, I always thought he'd be a good fit in Portland because he kind of fits like that. Like they, they need, as we just talked about, like they need defensive forwards and them have not having Trevor Ariza last year just completely tank their defense and the fact that like a 50 year old Trevor reason was holding up that defense really said it all about that defense um so I've always liked that fit uh and as far as a trade I don't know I mean Zach Collins would be interesting but it, he'd be kind of in the same situation where he's should be playing center and he's playing four with Vucevic still there so I don't know maybe you package some guards together or something. Um, I thought he would also be interesting in golden state and that is potentially something they could try to fit. They could try to fit him into that trade exception. They have, Um, he makes a little bit more. So I, I don't know if trade exceptions, like if they send out more salary, maybe they can make that work. I'm not completely up on the CBA and all that, but um, if possible, that would be an interesting trade for them. Um, And obviously they'd be going ultra small that way or ultra big if they played him at the three, Mm -hmm. but you, you would imagine he would be at the five or Draymond would. So that would be pretty interesting, but, but dealing him, um, I think would make sense at this point because they're just kind of in, like they just keep getting themselves into the same spot where they're like one of the worst playoff teams in the East and they can't, get any higher but they don't seem willing to go any lower so they just have to make a decision at this point because there's not a ton there like john isaac is probably your highest ceiling guy moving forward and he's hurt for this he's probably going to be out for the season i would guess so i mean this season makes makes way too much sense for them kind of to just Maybe deal some of these guys away I mean honestly trading Gordon alone may be enough Because right. If you trade him and just get some young Pieces back it's not like you Have a bunch of guys that are going to power them To the playoffs I mean it could happen
0: Vucevic is good I'll, I'll give Him that like he's in the East he's good enough To take them to the like to the 38 Win mark I, yeah. I, like, I have to give him that you know He's probably in the West. He's probably just like, like, I don't even know, like the proper comparison, but like in the East, Vujovic is good. I, I have to, like, I have to give him that. Like he's good. He's not great. I mean, he's not worth, so I'm looking at the Orlando salary cap number, right? So I, um, are cleaning the glass. I accepted Evan Fortier's player option. And I renounced DJ Augustine. The, the Magic are still $7 million over the salary cap without renouncing any of their other free agents. So it's not looking good for them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so again, like your improvements are going to have to come through trades because... And you can either go... All in As as all in as the magic can go And get DeRozan Or you can tear down and go the other way And I mean I, I do agree Vucevic is good enough to push them To like you know somewhere close to 40 wins potentially But I don't know I mean like I like Marco Fultz I thought he played well last year but I just I don't know If he's good enough to Because you can't just have Vucevic Like right the bottom of the East is pathetic, but I could see some of those lower teams moving up. Like, I mean, Washington's going to get John Wall back and, you know, Beal could be traded, but if he's not, the Washington team is probably a playoff team. The Hawks very well could be a playoff team, especially if they do end up trading for Drew Holiday or make some sort of other move. So, I mean, there's, there's ways here where the Magic could – could kind of just deal Gordon, not do much else, and kind of tank their way into the future in some way.
0: I don't know. Trade Fournier, trade Gordon, blow the whole damn thing up. Like, I'm just sick of the. Like, to borrow a Caleb Lynn phrase, I'm sick of the magic. Like, do something. They've done jack shit. Like, since Dwight Howard left, they have literally been a worthless franchise. Like, they tanked for however many years, and when they tanked, another draft pick's worked out for them, and now that they're, like, just in the that puddling water of irrelevance where they get the 15th pick every year. It's just like you haven't done jack shit. Your ownership is terrible. I just like everything about Orlando is terrible. I'm I'm so sick of Orlando. I'm like, do something. You have talented players. You know, the second Aaron Gordon leaves Orlando, he's going to be a damn impact player for a contender. You know, this, you know, this it's going to happen. It just, it pisses me off because it's like you develop players right? Vucevic actually turned into something good under you. We, nobody thought Vucevic could do what he's doing in Orlando. Nobody like, he's actually a decent defensive player. He's actually a pretty good passer. And it doesn't matter because the team fucking sucks. (laughs) Like they make the playoffs, but they suck. They get, they always steal a game off of the first seat. And then they always lose. It's always a, um, what the starters have or the starters or the basketball Jones are no dunks. they, They coined the douchebag sweep where you win game one and then they win. You win the rest of the games. They're the masters of the douchebag sweep. So I don't know. I hate Orlando. Let's move off of this before my blood pressure rises any higher. The Portland, you touched on it already. It's the wing or the defense, defensive forwards. It's really, it's really simple, but I mean, not just, they weren't just missing Ariza last year. They were missing Rodney Hood too. And Rodney Hood's not like a world changer on defense, but he's good. Or not he's decent at worst. So I think getting those guys back will be huge. You know who's an unrestricted free agent that they could that they could sign? Let me hear it. Mo Harkless. Bring him uh, back, baby. Boy. Let I me mean, let me just say this. Their defense, for as maligned as that guy was as the starting 12 forward, their defense was good when he was there. You got to give him that him and Alfred Camino. Their defense was good. So I don't know. They just need some defensive forward help. And I think Harkless wouldn't be a bad addition or re addition in his case. But um, I, you said it in the Orlando section, you agreed, but I mean, is there any other holes on the Portland roster other than that?
1: Um, I'm not a fan of the backup guard situation. Yeah, that too. Like, Backup point guard is listed as Anthony Simons, and I can tell you Anthony Simons is not a point guard. <laughs> he is not a point guard. So I don't
0: know what he like. So on the pod I did on Monday with Caleb, we did our three most interesting teams, and we did the um, we did the Trailblazers, and Simons like, I cut him some slack, right? Because he's twenty, like he's like he's like a baby, but still, like I mean that's not who a contender should be relying on as their backup point guard.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I like his potential. He has, he, I mean, didn't he have like 50 points one game? I it was like a garbage, like end of the season game, I think 2019, but like, I mean, he has talent for sure, but I, he's not, he's not a reliable backup point guard and, and I like Gary Trent. Like he, he's a good, he's good. you know, he's a good off ball guy, but as far as kind of a lead bench guard, they need something else.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. Like DJ Augustine, free agent. that would um, be He would like DJ Augustine to me. Like, you know, I just went on the magic rant, but he's a great backup point guard. And he's probably going to be a great backup point guard for like the next three years.
1: <laughs> you know, you know what hurts about DJ Augustine? And I really like him. He sucked it, for it, the Pacers. The one team he was bad for was the Pacers. I mean, how does that happen? He, I think at this point he's played for about a third of the teams in the league. And the one, team, the one team he's bad for. And he literally played for almost every other team in the division as well. Like he went to Detroit right after, was pretty damn good there. Went to Chicago, pretty damn good there. It's like, what the hell? And and this was in, you know, this was in the early Vogel era. Like, there was a lot of craziness. Tyler Hansbro was, like, a major difference maker. Uh, so, I can understand the weirdness. And also, Gerald Green, okay? Shout out to Gerald Green for being way better way after leaving the Pacers. But, let's you know. Let's
0: not get started on the Gerald Green train. Because that dude, that dude is about as streaky as, you know, as windex like <laughs> might be streakier. so don't gerald green just you have to cut him some slack cuz he's consistently inconsistent
1: yeah but it felt like he was just like at least with the rockets he'll give you a few good playoff games in a in a postseason Strums. and i don't think i think the we were the Pacers even a playoff team with him i think they might have been but either way he was just not good here Shoot.
0: Sorry for those that are listening. My computer just fell. Um, it's uh yeah, it's it's going great over here. Um, I mean Portland just to me doesn't have many other defined needs other than those two. Cause they're like, I mean, they're still a damn good team. Like Nurkic is good. I don't know about Zach Collins yet, but you know, if he can be your backup center, that's great. You're gonna be losing Hassan Whiteside, which is always good news. Um <laughs> No, I mean, I would say no No offense towards the sign, but I actually meant the offense. Um, yeah, it's going to be, we're going to see how this goes. But I think that the Portland, Portland will be interesting because a, a couple small pieces could really make a huge difference, a huge difference for the Trailblazers. But on to our next team, the Brooklyn Nets. And Brooklyn is interesting because we have no idea what they're going to be next year. Last season was a complete aberration. So what did you have as the Brooklyn Nets need?
1: I very simply had health because obviously their two best players were not healthy last year. And really like, we don't know what they are. We just don't know what they are yet. So it's kind of hard to like know exactly what they need because I mean putting Durant and, and Kyrie into that lineup is gonna change everything. And on paper, around those two guys looks pretty good. Like so Karis Levert, both big fans over here. Like he he has some major potential, especially as like in as like a third wheel. I mean, he's probably one of the better third wheels in the league. Um And, you know, and maybe maybe uh, we'll see what's going to be interesting is I thought he was actually better this year when he was kind of the lead guy. Mm -hmm. So it'd be interesting to see if he actually kind of gets worse when he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much. And maybe perhaps that is what um, calls upon a trade if it doesn't happen before the season even starts. Um, So that's going to be interesting. And then Joe Harris, who I believe is a free agent, so that I
0: think he's a UFA.
1: Yeah, so that that's a guy that they really need to keep, though. Yeah, because I mean, and, and that's that's a guy that can they can play for any team in the league. Like we're talking about Memphis. Yeah, I Memphis mean, can think, really use Joe Harris. Exactly. So, and I believe Memphis has a lot of money to spend as well because their entire core is on a rookie deal. So, um, Valentinus isn't. But, yeah, uh Jang, both make a lot. Um, Dylan Brooks got an extension. So, like, but they still have a good amount of money, if I recall correctly. So, um, you know, a team like that could very well go ahead and make a run at Joe Harris. And I'm assuming Joe Harris is in collect the bag mode. Just my yeah. uh, Just my assumption, because why not? Even though the money's not really there. I mean, this would be a good year for him to kind of just, you know, just fill that bag up a little bit because, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get it in a couple years from now. So, so we'll see what happens there. Um, the center is going to be interesting. Like, I wonder if they're going to go back to DeAndre as a starter. Him and Jared Allen, like Jared Allen, I like him. And I would say he's probably better than DeAndre, even though DeAndre has fallen off a lot. But, like, I think a lot of people last year were saying it was, like, ridiculous for DeAndre to be starting over Jared Allen. And I don't know if ridiculous is the word. Like, is Jared Allen that good where it's ridiculous?
0: I mean, DeAndre, though... I mean, you have to understand people were dealing with the recent track record. And the recent track record was that DeAndre was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) He was really bad in Dallas. He was really bad in New York. Now, he was on shitty teams. So, you could kind of chalk that up to that. But, like, is that a real thing? You know, like, I thought the contract itself was absolutely absurd. There is absolutely no way he should have gotten 4 for 40. But... I mean, I kind of see what you're saying. I think I'd rather have DeAndre out there because, like, you could blow – like, you could breathe really hard and blow over Jared Allen. Like, he is skinny as hell. Like, probably too skinny. So, I don't know. I kind of see what you're saying there. I wasn't a fan of DeAndre starting because – I mean, DeAndre is the one thing that improved when he was in New York and Dallas is that he got better as a passer. But I mean is fine, but you're not like DeAndre Jordan's no Marcus All. Like you're not going to DeAndre Jordan being like, here, you must control our offense and you must be the beacon of light because no one else on our team can pass. You're not saying that to DeAndre Jordan. So I don't know. I I'm not a fan of the DeAndre Jordan signing, but it's not a crime to start him over Jared Allen. As Jared Allen is like. So you know, Vorp value over a replacement player. I feel like Jared Allen is the replacement player. Like I I don't like see him being much better than that. Like he's fine. But I mean if you if happiness for Katie and Kyrie is signing their best friend, then sign is sign their best friend and start him.
1: Yeah, I mean like and the thing is DeAndre like He's not definitely not as good as he used to be, but he's still. I mean, there's still a few things that he's going to do well. Like, he's going to chase boards, he's going to be a lob threat. Which, you know, not that have we seen Kyrie with a lob threat? I don't think we have.
0: Um, saying Aaron Baines wasn't a lob threat, (laughs) (laughs) uh, not necessarily,
1: not necessarily. So, and I guess, you know, the thing is KD would probably be more likely to throw lobs to anyone, but, um, I don't know. It's interesting. And, you know, I would say that Jordan probably has more value just for that aspect with the chemistry and all that. Um, but you know, who knows? And the bench, the bench is really interesting. Like if they don't make a trade, Dinwiddie and Temple are a pretty damn good backup, um, guard front. Uh, TLC, Timothy Luau-Cabro, man, who had that a rebounder. Rhythm. He had like a shockingly good bubble. And I was really happy because all the way going back to the Philly days, I think the tanking Sixers, I think he was on that one, one of those teams. I liked him there. I He's he's not done nearly as good as I hope, but he was pretty good um, in the bubble. And then Torin Prince, who uh, I've always kind of liked. So, I don't know. There, there's a, there's a lot of interesting pieces here. So, you know, I, I think health, health alone, re-signing Joe Harris, you're in a pretty damn good spot.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's just about right. Um, I mean, Brooklyn's formula. I mean, we'll see if they actually work next year, right? Because we don't know if Katie and Kyrie will actually work on the floor, right? They could be friends all they want, but the they've been playing the way they've they've been playing now. Kevin Durant's been in like this is going to be his 14th season. He obviously didn't play last year, but it's going to be his 14th season in the league. This is going to be Kyrie's like, is this going to be his 10th season? His ninth or 10th season? They've both been in the league for a long time now. They are who they are. And if they don't mesh, then that's going to be a problem. And if Kyrie's willing to take the back seat, then that's great. I think that that's what all this boils down to. Is Kyrie willing to take the back seat? I had on um, for my need, are they going to trade for a third star? but even then i think they need to situate the pecking order first because kyrie um kyrie has the mamba mentality kyrie i have news for you you are not good enough to have the mamba mentality so that's that's my thing for for brooklyn but we'll see we'll see how it goes cuz they're i think it's safe to say they're one of the most fascinating teams of the season coming up like cuz no one knows what they are no one like with our next team, right? We have a baseline of knowing what they're gonna be, but I mean Brooklyn, I, it's just a blank slate. It's just a blank slate.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like, and with Kyrie taking a backseat, like I wonder if he may have to be the lead guy because again, we don't know what KD's gonna be like post injury. So, right. If if KD is like coming out of the gate slow, which I imagine he would, I mean, again, we talked about this extensively before. But a seven footer off an Achilles injury, it's it, it really worries me. And and uh, I don't know, I don't know if we're gonna have the same KD. And if that's the case, then Kyrie may have to be the guy, which is scary because he has a ton of injuries too in the past. So you know, th- this this very well could crumble.
0: It could, but let's move on to our next team with the Dallas Mavericks. So for my my team need, I had literally any backup small forward that's not Justin Jackson. Like, that's that's literally to me, like, Chris is hurt. But knowing the Mavericks in the regular season, they can make up Chris production. They need just someone who isn't Justin Jackson because Justin Jackson's a fine player. But on a playoff team, on a team with actual playoff aspirations, he's, he's not seeing the court for me. Like, if I have other options. He's just not unless I someone fouls out. Unless two guys foul out. So, what do you have for Dallas?
1: Yeah, and I love this Dallas team. Like, I, I think they could be somewhat of a sleeper going into next year because watching them against the Clippers in the playoffs this year, I was like, man, like, they are one piece away. And, and it may even be like half a piece because Luca and Chris Dapps together is an insane combination. And Chris Dapps, like his injuries, it just kills me. It's like, I thought this was going to be the one year we were going to get through it because he was freaking killing it. He was dropping like 30 every night. And it's like, all right, here we go. Like, this is the guy we've been waiting for. He took like a year and a half off and then he gets hurt again. It's like. I really can. I'm really concerned about him because, I mean, he's probably like one injury away from this becoming a major problem. If it's not yeah. already, I mean, he he may end up being like Blake Griffin, who is just like so talented, but his lower body can just not hold up, and and I it really does scare me because I really like this team, but yeah, I agree. Um, I put Justin Holiday on the list. I mean, Mm. that – like having a – I mean, Justin Holiday. like I loved watching him play this year. He – so he was pretty consistent from three. In the bubble, he was not good, but I'm not going to blame him for that. Like the team was – not having Sabonis there hurt a lot of the shooters. Like Sabonis opened so much up for all the shooters. Like Doug McDermott was terrible in the bubble too. Not surprising at all because him and Sabonis worked together a lot. Um, And same with Holiday, but – but just Holiday on defense alone was like – he was pushed to the limits. He was guarding fours a lot, and he was really good. I mean, he could he could very easily guard one through four, and there's not a ton of guys in the league that can say that. So I think he would be a perfect fit there. Um, I, well, I was going to say a backup guard because I like Jalen Brunson – and he was hurt in the playoffs. Um, but I don't know.
0: I, don't I think know. Jalen and Brunson's capable. Yeah. I just Are you telling me JJ Barea isn't cutting it in the year 2020? Is that what you're telling me?
1: JJ Berea is just dirk at this point. Like he's he's along for the ride. And and I respect it. He deserves it. Hey, he, uh, he played some games last year. Yeah he, was, yeah. he was there. He was a part of he the was, team. He was in the opening. <laughs> He was in the arena for sure no denying (laughs) that um but you know before i forgot trey burke was still on the team too and like trey burke was really good in the bubble like really good i mean we highlighted him a few times because he was like shockingly good like he was not the trey burke that we knew at all like
0: so ridiculously good
1: yeah like like two and a half times better than he's ever been it was what was more shocking
0: real quick him or Cameron Payne? I'm, I'm going to go with Cameron Payne, but it's close.
1: Cameron Payne was really good, too. And it's just funny because his three-point shot is so dumb. Like, his his entire chest is not facing the basket when he shoots.
0: Which is, like, the main, like main thing that they tell you has to be facing towards the basket. Like, feet, whatever. Legs, whatever. Your chest should be facing the basket.
1: Yeah, and, like... His, I mean, his his shot was always kind of like that, but it's like more, way more exaggerated than it used to be. Because, I mean, I remember he always kind of had that, like his form was very memorable. That his, it, it was more his, like his left shoulder was just facing straight towards the rim. But now it is literally completely like his chest is not looking at the rim at all. Um, but. I still think it's Trey Burke was so – I think he was the most surprising because, man, like he was – like there were games in the playoffs where he was like keeping them alive when Luka was off the floor. It's like I would not have bet a penny that that would ever happen. So I was happy about that for him. Um, So, you know, considering that – and again, I don't think Brunson's bad. Um, I just – I'm not – a a huge fan of him. I think he's solid, but, um, but you know, like you said, I mean, getting, getting an improvement over Justin Jackson, I would say is the biggest thing. And they'll have Dwight Powell back too. So that'll make up some of the losses with Chris taps. And I am a huge fan of Maxi Kleba. So, you know, putting, keeping him in there is nice. I mean, they, they had him guard Kawhi and Paul George all throughout that series. He did a pretty decent job. So, I'm you know, uh, just happy that he's still around because he's, he's a superstar, man. I'm telling you.
0: Yeah, Maxi Super. Kleba. This is a pro... Despite what Caleb Lynn may say, this is a pro Maxi Kleba podcast. Um, let's move on, though, to the Philadelphia 76ers, baby. <laughs> Talked about them a little bit, a little bit ago. I mean, they... I think... I don't know. You could go a lot of different ways for the Sixers, Right three-point shooting, you know, clarifying the Ben and Joel situation. I went with, they need to trade one of Al Horford or Tobias. Like, this situation with all four of them is untenable. They can't have all four of them, right? Even if they, you know, trade Ben or Joel, they can't keep Tobias and Al Horford. It's just not, like, I don't think it's tenable. I mean, what do, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean... I think uh, I think Horford's probably the easier one, which is funny because he's by far the oldest, and I don't know if least productive is fair because Al Horford has never been productive in terms of stats. Like, right? His well, not to say he hasn't been productive in terms of stats, but his value has always outshined his stats because of his defensive versatility um you know a lot of a lot of his uh placing on an offensive scheme so you know i think um getting getting rid of him and getting some some sort of decent bench piece back would be massive we talked last week about buddy healed um I mean, if if they can freaking get Horford and heal like, a straight-up trade there, you pull that fucking trigger without even thinking about it. Like, it's it's so... That would be such an easy trade for Philly. And it wouldn't... I would think the Kings could maybe do better, but it's not a bad trade for them either.
0: I Uh, I like Horford for the Kings. Like, he gives them some veteran stability, right? You don't have to play Rashawn Holmes as much. I like Rashawn Holmes, but... Even this bad Horford is an upgrade over Rashawn Holmes. I, I think we would both agree with that.
1: Yeah. And and Rashawn Holmes was actually really good last year. Um, but you know, that, that could have been an outlier year, I don't know. But he he had a very good year which was which was good for him because I've always wanted him to be good.
0: Right. Um, and, I'm not hating I, on Rashawn. I just yeah. this is Horford is still like I think that this year for the Sixers was an outlier. I have been on the record saying that multiple times. But I just think Horford on the Sixers with Embiid, right? And I understand the impetus for wanting to sign Embiid. Like, oh, he can shoot, you know, whatever, whatever. Like, all the intangible things that you've said, I mean, are are reasons why you sign Al Horford. But then in practice, like, actually on the court, it fucking sucked. (laughs) So... It would yeah. work better on a young team like the Kings, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and that that's the type of move the Kings need to make. Like, they were talking last year about maybe getting Vucevic, which would have been nice. Um, obviously, Horford's not the offensive type that, that Vucevic is, but just the spacing and some of the defensive stuff alone, I think, would be, would be a major improvement. Um, but with the Sixers, like – so, assuming they don't make a huge trade for Harden or something like that, and they don't get rid of Simmons or Embiid. So, getting rid of Horford would would be nice because you open some space up. You can move Tobias to the four, and then you could insert, you know, Thibel into the starting unit or Shake Milton or something. I would be – I almost think moving Josh Richardson to the bench would be the better thing to do mm. because – I just, just watching them this year, like Josh Richardson was not being utilized how he was in Miami and in Miami, he had the ball a ton because there was really no one else to do it aside from Dragic, and he looked really good. I think he was, util- he was using the ball too much. So like they got to right. find a, hap- they got to find a happy medium, but playing next to Simmons and Embiid, he's just not going to get the ball a ton. And Harris. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Josh Richardson should not be the fourth guy in an offense. He just shouldn't. And if they can't figure something out with the starting unit otherwise, I think putting him on the bench would be the best thing. Um, like, so, Thibel would make sense, but Shake Milton – I think would be really good next to Simmons with his shooting. So, you know, making just kind of making some moves like that, I think could really um, improve their outlook.
0: Hear me out. I, I just thought of something. Hear me out. Okay. So imagine if there was a team out in Los Angeles that had a point guard that was making pretty similar money to what Josh Richardson is making. Imagine this point guard was scrappy and could make some threes, right? And then imagine that Josh Richardson takes the role of a small guy who dribbles a lot and sucks in the playoffs. You know you know where I'm going with this. Patrick Beverly for Josh Richardson. I think I the, the Sixers probably say no because they're getting the worst player, but I think it would make both teams better. And plus you could get Richardson in the six-man role. You could have him on the perimeter, right, helping guard other teams guards, but then you have him like give him the freedom to run the bench offense. Like Lou will did. I think it's perfect.
1: It does make a lot of sense. Um, because it won't happen. It, it won't, but Pat Beverly was clearly not what the Clippers needed. And Lou will, as we have documented is not, I mean, he was really bad. And maybe maybe the lack of strippers was a problem for him. I don't know, but uh, there there was clearly something holding them back. So, you know, maybe escaping the bubble will help uh, Lou Will in particular. But I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll get to the Clippers later. But obviously, there's there's going to need to be some changes there, and and getting Josh Richardson would be a pretty damn good improvement.
0: I mean, that's that's probably about. I don't know. Like, we talked about the Westbrook thing, but that's probably not realistic, right? Like, I think you would have to give up Zubac and um, Beverly to get, to, like, even close to what Westbrook makes. And by the way, I don't know that you want that Westbrook contract even to begin with, but it's going to be interesting. And I think Richardson, I, I agree with you 1 million percent, right? And plus, Richardson shot, like, less than 33% from three last year. He is not that bad of a shooter. He's not like a great shooter. He's like 36%. I agree with you 100%. They did not utilize him correctly. I mean, the way to utilize Jeff Richardson is to be like your secondary ball handler, right? Like not your primary one. But like Miami probably utilized him way too much, but off the bench, right? Or like running six man units or bench units, I should say. I think that's that's probably what he should be doing, and he's just not doing that. And Philadelphia just didn't have an identity last year, so everyone suffered. Right, Tobias suffered, Al Horford suffered, Simmons suffered, and Bead suffered. Richardson suffered. So I think moving one of those guys and making more role clarity, I think that'll help them a lot. Right, that's why I had them moving one of Simmons or or not Simmons, one of Horford or Harris, because you just need clarity in your role. Right, sometimes that's all you need. Like. You can't tell Kenneth Free to go be a three-point shooter. <laughs> Kenneth Freed can only do two things. Or he can only do one thing, rebound. <laughs> like, that's 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 what you have Kenneth Freed for. You're not going to have him out there as your defensive specialist. you got to keep guys in the roles that they're good at. And Philadelphia was, like, 2K GM last year, and I think part of that was the ownership's fault. And it sounds like ownership is going to interfere a lot less, hopefully, now that they have Daryl and they gave Elton Brand more job security. But... I don't know. It's Philly is going to be an interesting case. Um, let's move on to the next team, a team that's near and dear to both of our hearts. It's the Miami Heat. We both, I'd say, safe to, safe to say this is a pro, very pro Heat culture podcast. Um, both love Tyler Hero. You talked me into Tyler Hero more and more as the playoffs went on. So, kudos to you. Um, I don't know. Miami's team need is tough, right? I this is what I had for their team need. I think you'll appreciate this. Because I couldn't really think of anything. So I I thought of a real one, but my Miami need for this year is next year's salary cap being $120 million. (laughs) That's that's their team need because they're going to try to get Giannis and they want to do all kinds of crazy shit. They're not going to be able to get two superstars, right? That's not going to be possible. But they could get a really good role player, right? As for the actual realistic one, I gallo taking a mid-level contract with them. That's kind of what they kind of... Like, they tried to get Gallinari at the trade deadline this year, and it bombed spectacularly. But if they can get Gallinari in a mid-level contract, they got to do it. What do you have for Miami?
1: So, as far as players, I think the main thing they need to do is just retain Goran Dragic because he is a free agent. And, again, there's not a ton of money out there. So the likelihood of him leaving is is probably slim. Um, but really, like, Miami just needs to focus on not spending too much future money. As you just talked about, they're going to go after Giannis. And they are obviously coming off a of finals appearance. Like, they have a really solid team. And... I don't know if they are going to be a finals team next year or not. Like, it's going to be tough. The, yeah, I think the bubble was very good for them, and that not every team was a hundred percent. And I don't know. I mean, they would have beaten the Pacers with Sabonis probably, so like that's not a big deal. But I mean, I don't know. Like, you took away home court advantage in a lot of ways. I don't. I don't think they would have beaten the Bucks the way they did. They may have beaten them still, but they wouldn't have beaten them that way, right. um, if there was home court advantage. So there's just a lot of factors that benefited them, and you know the fact that you didn't have to travel at all, which obviously that helped everyone. But um, you know a lot of the a lot of the good players on this Heat team were kind of like older. I mean, Drogic's older. Jimmy Butler's not a young man. Jay Crowder's getting up there. So, like, you know, travel takes a toll on some of those older guys more. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I don't think they're pro, even with Drogic coming back, they're probably not a playoff team or not a finals team, but they're still pretty damn good. And I think Jay Crowder's a freaking too. So, mm, that's right. Uh, so, obviously, he was huge, huge in the playoffs. Like, he, his three-point shooting was just insane. And he also played some, some really important defense on, down the stretch for them. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they go because, I mean, they relied a lot on – well, I guess they did spread the wealth a good amount because, you know, Bam was pretty consistently playing the same role – he was, like, it's funny because Bam is, like, so good. He can score, like, 18 points, like, so easily because he's just a beast down low, and, like, he doesn't really have to work for those points at all. Um, and, you know, you know, Butler, Dragic, and Hero just had some insane games. The, everyone else, aside from Crowder, wasn't great. I mean, Kendrick Nunn was – I don't know. He, he didn't play the, the entire playoffs, but he wasn't great when he did. Duncan Robinson was really, you know, he was he was bad as far as output. But I think he helped set a lot of those other guys up just by taking up attention to the defense. We've talked a lot. I talked a lot, especially before about the Bucs. I mean, the Bucks just completely oversold defensively on Duncan Robinson and they just allowed Drogic to go off. So, like, so whether Duncan was scoring or not, that was the type of um, impact he had. So, so, you know, I don't know. Like, I think just keeping trying to keep everything together would be, would be really good for them and not spending too much of their future money.
0: I think that's probably the way to look at it. Crowder, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you replace that Crowder production with Gallinari. Right, you lose a little on defense, but you gain a lot more on offense. And I think they're going to need firepower because Bam in the Eastern Conference, Bam will be good enough to stop, you know, Embiid, you know, Giannis, whatever. Right, he was good enough in the playoffs to do it. Now, Crowder really helped in the Buck series. Like, Crowder probably to me was the MVRP of the second round for the Heat, most valuable role player, like even more so than Dragic because Crowder's defense, right. You, like, you know how they were always talking about Miami's defensive strategy was form a wall against Giannis? They can't form that wall without Crowder. So, I don't know what – like, Crowder's probably going to want to get the bag, right? Crowder's been on a – not pissed poor, right? But, like, around a mid-level contract. I mean, it's less than the mid-level now um, for the last five years. He signed a five-year extension in 2015. So, he's going to probably want 10-plus. And I don't know if Miami's going to want to give him 10-plus. Um maybe for a year maybe give him like 15 because they they have his bird rights but i like i don't know what you do with crowder that's an interesting situation but we're it's already been an hour (laughs) we're only on miami so let's go ahead and move on to oklahoma city they're they're interesting case i'm gonna let you start with oklahoma city because i've there's a lot of different ways you could go with this
1: well, I'll keep mine concise and just just tank, okay? Just let Gallo go, trade Chris Paul. You know, you got you got Gilgis Alexander and a bunch of draft picks coming in. Get yourself a nice little lottery pick next year, maybe top five. And Chris Paul is probably going to net you a decent decent haul. Like if he does go to the Suns. You know, you're probably going to get Rubio and Ubre back and maybe a little bit, maybe a draft pick, too. And, like, Ubre and SGA is not a bad duo. Mm -hmm. And then you got got some draft capital to follow that up, and you're doing okay. So I say go ahead and tear down. Steven Adams, you know, it's not the worst thing to keep him around. I'm not sure what his trade value really is anymore. So that's not as big a deal. But Chris Paul and Gallo are the two big – big ones just kind of just kind of let him go and move on to the next chapter
0: if you can get a sign and trade for Gallo that's great but you're probably not right. gonna get a sign and trade not in this free agency market um and that's fair I was kind of just like trying to trade Stephen Adams if you can but you that's probably a good point about Stephen Adams like there's not much you can take I would imagine that if Phoenix does trade for Chris Paul the package would be what you said and I think their pick is 11th this year. If, like, in the pod we did last week. I think they were 11th. So, I mean, like, there's not really much better you can do than that, right? Like, even if without the first-round pick, Ubre is still really good. <laughs> like, we yeah. forget about Ubre, but Ubre is good. Like, if Phoenix doesn't trade for Chris Paul, you're not in a worse – you're not really that much worse off for keeping Ubre. So, I don't know. He's a young player that's been getting traded a lot. It's not because he's, like, a bad guy or anything. It's just because he's really talented. So, if you can get him, that's probably a great starting place because you have a young wing. But, yeah, blow it up. Just tank. They're going to tank. We've known they're going to tank this whole time. They promoted some assistant coach that we've never heard of to their head coach. So, good for that guy. Um, yeah. That's all, that's all there really is to say about Oklahoma City. The Houston Rockets. We talked about them a lot at the beginning of the show. Um, I had... Tita losing his cheapness slash trying to get a good haul for Tucker and Cummington. This is before, I made this list before we do Russell Westbrook the main in a trade. So let's make that clear. But still, I think if you could, like those guys could probably get you more than Westbrook could get you in just a strange way, right? Because Westbrook's contract is so huge. Like, if they weren't making too much money, I would say Golden State should trade the number two pick for both of those guys using the trade exception like even then I still don't think it's a terrible idea for them to use the number two pick to get one of those guys for the number two pick like I mean one of those guys really helps their team and I just think that that's a good way for Houston to recoup some value especially since they had to trade four first round picks for <laughs> for Westbrook so what what did you have?
1: Well, I just had tank. I'm being very simple with with my uh, my advice here, kind of. But that that Golden State trade would be really interesting if if they could get both of those guys for the number two. That would be really really interesting, and like that would be a major win win for both sides because, I mean, you're putting Golden State back on the map with that deal. Like mm-hmm. like you're you're getting the shooting, you're getting the defense. I mean, that would be a very well balanced lineup they would have, um, and I mean, and those guys are already used to the small ball. Like they're going to be playing a lot of small ball in Golden State, with you know, too. So it would be it would be really. I mean, we've we've kind of talked about some of the candidates for that number two pick, and and that deal right there, if they could get both of them, that's up there, man. That really is, and that would work out really nicely for the Rockets as well. Yeah, because um, they'd
0: save a but, lot of money.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would save a lot of money and you can very easily just say, okay, we're gonna take this guy or that guy with this pick and trade at least Westbrook. So, you know, we're kind of starting over here. Um, so I, I think that's that's a pretty pretty interesting idea.
0: I don't think it would work, right? I think I don't know if you can use the trade exception and trade a player, right? Like I don't know if you could absorb like 17 million because their trade exception I think is 17.2 million if I'm not mistaken something like that right it's 17 yeah. something I don't know if like you could trade those that trade exception second pick and like Kavon Looney or something like that like I don't know if that's allowed right I'm not um certainly not a cap expert but like I mean hell number two and Eric Paschal for an immediate upgrade right Eric Pascal's is a nice player but yeah. if you have the opportunity to get two two of the best defensive players in the league, <laughs> like PJ Tucker, P.J. Tucker, did he make all-defensive team this year? If he didn't, it was an absolute atrocity because that man played his ass off. Like, the last three years, he's been one of the best defensive players. And I don't know. You just got to try to see what you can do. It's going to be interesting, but... And like we said, there's a huge possibility that Covington or that Harden and Westbrook get traded. I'd say Westbrook more so than Harden because you gotta try to keep Harden, even if his playoff um, capabilities keep showing themselves again and again. Like the man's a guaranteed 50 wins. At like at this point, he's guaranteed you're winning 50 games if James Harden's on your team. But let's move on to the next team, that is the Utah Jazz. Ah, the Utah. We love, we love a state that has the jazz as their name, but is absolutely jazzy in no way. (laughs) Um, I I don't know if that's entirely true. I'm sure they have some like jazz places there, but Utah to me is fascinating, right? Because I don't know what they could do to improve their team, but it feels like they're a piece away from being a contender. Like I go off that sentence. Like, I just don't know like where they can improve, but it feels like they're so, so close.
1: Um, see, I came into this thinking it was backup guard, but you could probably get away with just kind of splitting time with Conley and Mitchell there. Cause so you have Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench who was good last year. Like good. Just he's, we need to compile a list of guys that were shockingly good last year. Cause we've mentioned like three already, but like Clarkson was shockingly good last year. And, you know, you could probably get away with, like, a nine-man rotation. I don't know. Like, if they were going to go anywhere, that would be the place. Because Emmanuel Moutier is, is not it. But, I mean, that starting lineup is really
0: interesting. And, like, Bogdanovich. People forgot about Bogdanovich. He was good. Like, he literally, to me was the offensive piece that they were missing because he took a lot of the, you know, stuff that Conley was supposed to do and he did it, right? Like people, like I would, would have not blamed you, right? If you thought after what Boyan Bogdanovich did in 2019 for the Pacers, if you thought that was an aberration, right? That's perfectly reasonable. But he came out and he scored, 20, he averaged 20 points a game. He was probably their second best player. Like, I, okay. Best player because Gobert is obviously up there, but he was damn good, right? And he, if he was healthy for the playoffs, I think they beat Denver. I, I don't really think that's up for discussion, right? Like, I think they had them, they had Denver by the balls for the first three games. And if they have Bogdanovich, they probably close it out in six. So that's why I have them, like, as you know, as I'm not sure, like, they could probably use another backup forward but I like George Niang, you know, I like, I love Royce O'Neal. They probably could use some more height, but Royce O'Neal is like strong enough where he makes up for that height difference with a lot of guys. So like, I just don't know where you could make up the difference, right? Cause no one's guarding LeBron. That's first and foremost, no one's guarding LeBron. Um, yeah. I just, I love the jazz and I think that if they're healthy next year, I think that they have a real shot to be top four. You know, like I think that they're that good.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially with the leap we saw Mitchell make in the playoffs, like that—that that was kind of what we were waiting for—is him to do something like that. So now it's exciting, and you know, even if Conley is what he was last year, which is you know a shell from former his former self. I mean, you're going to get a healthy Bogdanovich back. Um, like you said, I think Royce O'Neill is one of the most underrated guys in the league. He's good. Like, just, just watching him, like he'll he'll like hit a pull up three and then go down the other end and lock up the best player on their team. I mean, he's very versatile, and like you just don't hear many guys talk about him. He's 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 really good. He fits perfectly into the system they have there. So I just really like the balance they all have. Um, You know, I'm not going to say I've shit on Gobert in the past, but I've always been a little skeptical of his superstardom, as some people say. But I thought he was actually pretty good in the playoffs. Like, a lot of the things that usually he gets held up on, I thought he was actually pretty good. Um, I don't think, you know, and, and we talked about this before, but – a lot of his downfalls in the playoffs for the past were the fact that they played the rockets 2 years in a row and the rockets are a team that's going to expose a player like that but when he was going up against against Jokic and don't get me wrong Jokic killed him but he also killed Jokic on the other end as well so mm-hmm. so yeah.
0: I, Jokic was really bad in def- on defense in the first round that's something i think we can't We can't forget entirely, but he was really bad, like losing, losing Gobert. It was remarkable they won the series with the way they played defense the first four games.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was funny. And like maybe it was Jokic just being so bad on defense, but Gobert looked like very athletic with the ball. You know, it was like really weird. And I think that's probably why like I, I have such like good memories of his of his playoff performance, because he looked, like, way different, and it, it maybe was just the fact that he was playing against, like, a slow, plotting defensive center, but, um, but I didn't think he was a problem like he has been in the past. So, I mean, moving forward, man, like, and the thing about them, it's interesting, is this, if they don't do it this year, I think there may be some changes come. Because I think Gobert may only have one year left on his deal. I may be
0: wrong on that. But he is a free agent next year.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's maybe if they don't have a great performance in the playoffs, they get out in the second round or something like that. They're like, you know what? You're a great player, but, like, we just got to move on. We got to do something different because it's not working. So... I think this is a big year for them. Um, You know, they're they're probably not a playoff or a finals team, but I think they could they could give one of these top contenders a real run for their money.
0: One last thing before we before we move on to the next team, if Dallas doesn't land Giannis in twenty one, go Bearwicks makes way too much sense for them. Like shores up their defense. Luca have like a legitimate lob threat. Like I mean, Dwight Powell's. Okay, Dwight Powell is a legitimate lob threat. But even one better than <laughs> Dwight Powell, right? Someone who's going to get uh, shoots like 70% of the rim. So I think that that's something to look out for. And Mitchell's passing, if Mitchell's passing was what it was in Orlando, which again, played a really shitty defense in Denver in the first round. I must say that even though Denver did make the conference finals, they shored up the defense against the Clippers in the last three games against the Jazz. But the first four games... That was one of the worst defenses in recent playoff memory. <laughs> and so we have to keep that into account. But Mitchell, if the passing can keep up, then I think that he is one of the best players in the league. Like one of the 20 best. Like the way Mitchell played in Orlando, he was one of the 20 best players in the league. Non-stop. Not whatever that phrase is. Full stop, I think is the phrase. I don't know. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> but... I think on that note, we can move on from Milwaukee to a team that's literally close to both of our hearts because we're in the city that they play in, or you're out directly outside of it, it's the Indiana Pacers. And so I'll let you take the floor for this one since you're since you're the hashtag Pacers guy. But this, this is a fascinating one. I feel like this one can go a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, so for me, I think the first thing you have to at least try to do is just get rid of Vic because I just – I think with keeping Vic, there's just too many question marks around the team. It's like – because you, you have the money thing. It's like he's if he's here, he's going to want a deal. If he's here, is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to play to the standard that he set when he first came here? Is he going to be the guy or is he going to step back and let Brogdon and Sabonis, you know, play that front role? I just there's too many there's too much uncertainty. I think if Vic is still here, and I think undoubtedly the future of the team is Brog and Sabonis, and maybe even T.J. Warren. Like after he played this past year, I think you can make a case that he's um, a core piece going forward here. So that that is a move I would look to make. Um, people have talked about trading Turner, and I'm not against it but i just I, I i you started to see him and sabonis really play well together before sabonis got hurt and i mean it was before the season got postponed so um, sabonis got hurt much later but we didn't get to see them play together in the bubble but you know in in late february or late yeah late february and march they looked good together like turner was really starting to figure his role out which he struggled with early on and I don't think it's the time to trade him yet. Um, I think maybe the trade deadline, if you want to look at that, that makes sense because at least he gets some more time seeing those two play together. But I think the biggest thing is is all depot, and you go from there. Um, Justin Holly is a big free agent we talked about earlier with the Mavs. Um, getting him to stay would be awesome because he was he played an integral role on this team last year. And, obviously, his brother Aaron is here, so you don't want to split that duo. No. Um, and, you know, I'd like to see Aaron play a bigger role this year, too, because he had some good moments last year. He started a lot um, with with uh, Brogdon being hurt, and in the playoffs they went small, uh, or in the bubble, really, as a whole. So Aaron got a lot of time, and he's interesting next to, next to Brogdon because – Brogdon kind of covers up some of his defensive weaknesses with him being smaller and you know Brogdon is better off the ball like
0: yeah that's
1: we sure. we saw we saw early in the season that he was he looked really good with the ball in his hands because um I mean it, it's hard not to playing with Sabonis honestly like the screens are so good the pick and rolls are so good dribble handoffs like it's not hard you don't have to be a great decision maker to be a good ball handle next to Sabonis. Um, but as we saw when Sabonis wasn't there, like it's just a lot clunkier. And that's why I thought him and all depot would be such a good fit. Cause all depot can kind of take that lead role. But with him being hurt, we didn't get to see it a ton, So I think Aaron is a pretty good fit next to him. And, whether they trade All depot or not, I would like to see those two guys play more together. Um, outside of that, I don't know. Like Jeremy Lamb's going to come back at some point. He was injured this past year. Um, Doug McDermott's going to still be around. This is last year of his deal. Um, he, he's he hasn't been great, but he's been underutilized. I mean, Nate McMillan is just he did not he did not really look to create a ton of opportunities for any of the three-point shooters so with the new coach maybe maybe we see a some sort of a mcdermott revitalization but um there's definitely a lot of questions
0: so nate yorkin for what it's worth i mean it sounds like nurse gave him credit for the box and one idea in the finals which, I mean, it should have been obvious, first of all, because Steph Curry was out there playing by with a hobbled DeMarcus Marcus Cousins by the end of game six. That's literally all he had. Draymond Draymond, I think, had a great stat line in game six, but also had, like, eight turnovers or something like that. I mean, that's the most Draymond, that's the most predictable Draymond thing ever. Like, he went out swinging, but, of course, him going out swinging was, like, two points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, five steals, and eight turnovers. Um that, that aside the point I had Trey, like resolve the center situation as the thing but I think your point about Turner playing more of the power forward I think that that works right the problem is, is that neither of the none of the centers on the roster are strong enough to deal with the strongest guys in the east right and this is the this is the thing that Thaddeus young resolved I know Thaddeus young is like two years ago now but still this is the the issue that Thaddeus Young resolved, right? Where he was strong enough to at least deal, like try to deal with Giannis, right? Like, I mean, I know he only did it well for one game, (laughs) but still, I mean, would you, you wouldn't give Turner or Sabonis that same chance that to, they would ever do that game that Thaddeus Young had against Giannis. There's no way in hell either of them could do it. So they need strength. That's, that's their biggest problem is that they have no strength, right? (laughs) Like, I think Boyan Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young, both of them leaving in the same offseason, kind of revealed that hole later in the season, right? And I think one of the last good Pascal Siakam games of the regular season, because Pascal really struggled after like the first month and no one really talked about it. One of the last good Pascal Siakam games was against the Pacers because Justin Holiday, whom we both love, was playing the four. Justin Holiday is 6'6", 185. Pascal Siakam is like 6'10", 220. At 220, might be... Actually, I think 220 is about right. But still, you understand what I'm saying. Weight is a big thing that doesn't get talked about enough. And if you can get bullied, then you have a problem. And the Pacers, to me, can get easily bullied, right? Proctin is, like, their strongest guy. or He's the guy that weighs the most. He's, like, 6'5", like, 220, 230. He weighs almost as much as the centers do, I'm pretty sure. And that's kind of the problem, right? But at the same time, I don't want to see miles gain 20 pounds because what makes miles good is that he is pretty light on his feet. So it's an interesting dynamic. I, the Pacers to me, I think they'll look worse just by comparison of how much better the East it could be this year, right. With Brooklyn and Boston and depending on what Toronto does, Miami, like those four teams are going to be a problem. And then you have Milwaukee. So And we don't know what Philadelphia is going to do. So Indiana could end up looking way worse by comparison by being practically the same team. So it's going to be interesting. Um, Sell high on Victor Oladipo, if that's even possible, (laughs) if they can do that Karis Levert trade, you've got to do it. Right. That makes their team so much better. And Brooklyn would be fools for offering it, but sell high on Vic. You don't know if he's going to be the same as he ever was in 2018. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say on the Pacers. I have, the Justin Holiday point's a good one. Hopefully Bjorkren can use, no one's ever used Doug McDermott, right, in his whole career. No one. Doug McDermott should be like an off-ball pest, right? Like, a, not just like a guy who cuts for threes, but a slasher. Like, he's got really good offensive instincts. There's a reason he scored, you know, the fifth most points of all time in college or whatever it was. Like, there's a reason for it. He's a good offensive player. and No one's used him the right way. Like, in Chicago, they tried to run post-ups for him. <laughs> God, don't get me started on the Chicago Doug McDermott experience. But I think you're pretty much flat on with everything you said there. Pacers are an interesting team, for sure.
1: Yeah, and with McDermott, like, I think the – was it only a half season he was in Dallas, or was it more? But it wasn't long. But that, that was probably his best stint. And shockingly, he was with, you know, one of the best coaches in the league right now. So um, maybe B- uh, Bjorkren is is going to become one of those, you know, great coaches. I don't know. Um, I certainly like that he was under Nick Nurse for a couple of years. I mean, Nick Nurse is like just burst onto the scene is like one of the best coaches in the league, if not the best coach. So, you know, he's he's coming from good company, at least. Um Your point about strength is definitely spot on. Um, I do worry about Goga. Like, he he wasn't great last year. His – I thought he would be moving a little bit better. Like, he's strong, and obviously he's huge, so you can't expect him to be lightning quick, but his movement was very slow. Which worries me, and like he, he was up against Embiid at certain points, and I mean the size is there to match it, but he just doesn't know yet. I mean, maybe it's just a youth problem for him, but I don't know. I mean, Sabonis, I don't, I think Sabonis has done decent on Embiid in the past, certainly better than Turner, but yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a concern, and um, if you're gonna fix it. The problem is you probably have to move Sabonis back to the four, which I like him at the five on offensively. Yeah. So it, it's like you fix one problem and you create another. So it's like I don't know. You, you might just have to kind of take the the loss on strength and hope you make up for in other areas.
0: Yeah, and the Pacers to me aren't like a particularly like quick team. So I don't know. Like I mean, Aaron Holiday's quick, but remember what happened when Malcolm Brackton tried to isolate spam Bam. <laughs> Horrible. It was literally some of the worst basketball I've ever seen. I was like literally scratching my head. Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it was mind numbingly bad trying to ISO against Bam Adebayo. One of the best perimeter defenders for a center in the league. Like you could reasonably stick Bam. Oh God, I'm not going to get into it. Um, I don't know if just one last thing, just like kind of a jokey thing, but I mean, given the pictures we've seen of Sabonis's dad, Later in his career, I think that there's a good chance he could he can make up some of the weight difference.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I'm not gonna bet on that being the case. I I think some of those guys in the 80s and you know 70s, 80s, 90s. I think I think the league was a little bit different back then, and it seems like health is a little bit more emphasized nowadays. So I would uh, Sabonis.
0: Was thirty one years old when he came over, so that I think that there's, I'll cut him a little bit of slack. He was he was thirty one, when he played his first NBA game, and when he retired he was thirty eight. He played seventy eight games when he was thirty eight years old. He played only played fifteen minutes a game, but it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, given the way he's that aged, how many assists? I mean, if Arbita Sabonis played today, he'd probably be like, he'd be what Marcus Gasol is, except way better on offense. Like, I feel like that's, I don't know, though. Everyone says Venus was amazing, and Domas is certainly really good. Like, we're, and I thought, okay, last, la- last, 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 last thing. Sabonis, to me, Domas showed really good passing vision, especially in the second half of the season, right? When they started to take away his moves, he started to be more of a creator, like on the ball. Like, you were mentioning a lot of the screening stuff, but to me, he was really good at passing, really good with the handoffs. I thought that that really improved as the season went along, and I, I was glad for it because we know he's got he's got the genes for it because Arvidas Sabonis is proclaimed as one of the best passers of all time as a center. But damn, it was nice to see him actually pass it, like be good at passing.
1: Yeah, he he's. I'm telling you, man. Like, I hope this foot injury isn't like a. Cause I know the Liz Frank can be a small thing or a big thing. And I hope it's small because that dude has a lot of talent. Like this past season, he was, he was incredible really in all facets. So I I'm excited to see him and I hope, I hope he can stay healthy.
0: So let's try and breeze through a couple of these real quick before we get to the, to the big one. That's right. Of course, I'm talking about the Toronto Raptors. Just kidding. Let's go ahead and move on to the nuggets though. Um, Nuggets is interesting because I feel like the Nuggets have like one small hole. Or, so what's what do you have? And then I'll go through mine for mine.
1: Um, so mine is just kind of a question about whether they should move Murray or not. Mm. Um, you know, we talked about this before, and I don't know, like. It feels like a sell-high moment, but he also could just be, like, this good. I just don't know. I, I still lean towards him not being as good as he was in the bubble. Um, and maybe this is the time where you trade for Beale. And, you know, you could trade for Beale without trading Murray is the thing. Like, Michael Porter Jr. probably showed enough where the Wizards would be like, hey, that's a good centerpiece for a Beale trade, so let's do that. Um so maybe you know maybe you can have a big 3 of sorts um while keeping Murray but I don't know I I think it's just a worthwhile thing to question for them
0: I think the guy that I think Porter Jr is the guy they should sell high on like okay yeah I is he ever going to play defense So here's here's what Porter Jr has going for him He's a great off ball cutter right, which is what you absolutely need to play with Jokic. He is a phenomenal rebounder. Like, that dude can get boards. Like, there's just something about watching a dude, right? Like, Russell Westbrook, right? A lot of his rebounding success in Oklahoma City was that Steven Adams would box out for him on the defensive end, right? He wasn't grabbing offensive boards. If you're good at grabbing offensive rebounds, that's how you know you're a good offensive rebounder. But what does he have going against him? And what he has going against him is that he was one of the worst defensive players in the league last season. So we talked about Denver's defense the first four games, right, of the first round. As Porter Jr.'s minutes went down, Denver's defense went up. And that, to me, is a damning correlation. Because if you are a significant offensive talent that can't stay on the floor for more than 10 minutes in a playoff game, that is a problem. But some team will look at him and probably – convince themselves I can be the one that turns him into a good defensive player. Cause I mean, he looks like a guy that would be a good defensive player. Right. I mean, he's like, like we said, he's a smart offensive player. Surely it'll translate to the defensive end. Given some of the things that uh, he has said in public, I don't know if that will translate to the defensive end. I, I know that's like, could be construed as a joke thing, but like given his like general IQ on things, like, is he going to get smarter? Like, he's 20 years old already. Like, I think he's 21. Like, can you get smarter? That's I think that's really the question with him. That's why I would sell high on him, right? Like, if you're Washington, of course you can convince yourself that this 6'10 wing will fit you perfectly, right? If you're New Orleans, right, and you want to trade Drew Holiday. I wouldn't trade Michael Porter Jr. for Drew Holiday. But if, like, Denver were to consider that, yeah, I'd trade. Of course I'd take this 6'10 guy who would fit perfectly, like, who's a great shooter, I wanna fit perfectly next to my two star players. Of course. I can teach him how to play defense. But I don't think he I don't think he ever will. And I think that's why you gotta sell high. If he can play defense, I'll gladly take the L. But I just I don't think like there's levels to it, right? And I don't think Porter Jr. is at that level where you can trust him on the defensive end ever.
1: Yeah, you know, that was the draft. That was the one draft I studied by far the most. And I don't remember where I had him on my big board, but it was lower than most people just because, I mean, he played two games in Missouri. He was just a high school highlight reel guy that everyone bought into because he's this big guy that's athletic, can shoot, and can dunk. And the thing about highlights is you don't really get to see the stuff that actually matters. Like you're not making a, you know, you're not going to see a ton of great passing. You're not going to see a ton of great defense and you know, the dunks and shootings exciting, but like, what else does he do? And in the NBA so far, we've seen exactly that. Like my only thing about, you know, if you, if you want to make it a Murray versus Porter jr. Discussion, it's like, the thing is, I think Porter Jr. still has some room to grow in value, um, like where he could be. I think it's hard to imagine Murray getting any better than he was um, in the bubble. And the thing with with Porter Jr. is he fits Jokic perfectly. Like he is the perfect type of guy to play with Jokic. So I think that there's still room to grow in his value, and I don't see how his value could get any worse unless a team really just locks in on the defense and the passing um, and says, yeah, like we're not seeing any, any improvements here. If we want him to be a fundamental like building block, we need to see more there. You know, if you want to make that argument, I could see that, but I mean, his, the things that he's really got going for him, I honestly think his best asset may be his rebounding instincts. Like, he is incredibly good on on the boards. Like, he is amazing. And, like, the shooting they have there, um, there's a lot of opportunities for him to collect those boards and make big plays
0: around the rim. So That's the nicest way you could say the team sucks at shooting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you know. Just on a volume standpoint, though, like, you're going to miss a lot of shots. And, I mean, seriously, like, that was the one thing that stood out to me was his rebounding instincts. Like, he's just always there. And yeah. when, you, when you're when you able to get offensive rebounds, like, there's not a ton of guys in the league that are awesome at offensive rebounding. It's like a major – it's a major, like, a great asset to have because, you know, if you can get second chances for your offense, that's huge. Um, so you know, I could see either way, um, selling high or maybe trying to get a little bit more out of him. But um, you know, I, I think that's where that that's kind of where Denver needs to look at because I mean, we saw they made the Western Conference Finals. Like they're close, um, but I I don't think that this this team has that next level in them. So yeah. they probably are going to have to make a trade of some sort. And, you know, for them to make a true improvement, trading one of those guys is probably necessary.
0: Yeah. um, I would just counter what you said about Porter being a perfect fit with Jokic. I think Murray is like the best possible guard you could put with Jokic, right? Because he doesn't need to pound the hell out of the ball. And I think that's what you need with Jokic, right? Most point guards you see, like they've been dribbling the ball their entire lives. Like, why the hell would you want to just stand there while this, big galoot, right? Like, I'm just talking in the mind of a point guard, right? Why the hell is this big galoot dribbling all the time? Why am I not getting to dribble more? And Murray, to me, is comfortable in his role, where his role is just, I'm going to take all the shots that I get because the defense isn't as focused on me, right? So I don't think Murray would be as good, like, if you just threw him in, I don't know, like, what? Like if you threw Jamal Murray in Charlotte, right? I don't think Jamal Murray is as good as he is in Denver, And so I think teams might weigh that, like, if they're, like, if Denver was hypothetically shopping Murray, right? I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is it works kind of both ways, where Denver, to me, they need Murray, but also Murray needs Denver. And he seems to me, like, the perfect lack of of ego. And if his pull-up jumpers fall the same way that they did in the playoffs, he is a top guard in the league. Like, I don't know what number, right. I'm not like going to sign a number to him off the top of my head, but he is one of the best offensive guards in the league. Like he was phenomenal. in the playoffs, he averaged like 25 points a game, I think, which no one saw coming. So I understand why you're saying sell high on him from that aspect. But I just think that, I don't know the nuggets to me need to keep Murray. He needs to be a building block because he, to me, the fact that he's willing to play the way that he is is a major sign of, like, unselfishness. And he might grow into selfishness, right, as his ego expands. But I just think that he, you know, like, he's perfect for his role because, like, what other guards could you think of that would be okay playing off the ball as much as he does? Like, how many could you name, like, point guards?
1: Um, There's not many. Um, Like, Kyle Lowry would obviously be a great fit there. But... He doesn't offer the same skill set like the the shooting definitely separates Murray from any of the other guys that would be OK in that role. Um, so, you know, I do agree there. And like, obviously, if you can get someone like Beal without giving Murray up, you do it because I'm like Murray is by far a better player than that Porter Jr. may ever be. And, like, if you can sell that – you know, if you can sell that kind of mystique of Porter Jr., like what he could be and package it with someone like Gary Harris or whatever and get Beal, I mean, you freaking pull the trigger because, like, that's a finals team right there. Um, But if you're not able to do it, you know, you consider tossing Murray out there and seeing what you get back. But, obviously, if you don't have to give him up, I would rather go another route.
0: Like, and to me – This is what I love about Jamal Murray, right? And this is something that the stats can't quantify. But he is a dog, man. Like he is gonna try, try, try until like it everything fails. And to me, that means a lot more, right? Like than a guy like Harden, you know? And Harden's been getting kicked around a lot, and right, frankly, rightfully so. (laughs) But I mean, Denver, man, they just didn't quit. They didn't quit. And I think Jamal Murray is that emotional, like support you need, right? Cause Jokic to me doesn't seem like, he seems like a steady guy, right? Like he seems like a Tim Duncan where Duncan was like, you know, more like the rock. You need the guy that's like emotional and fiery that, among the players. And I, maybe Tim Duncan was that behind the scenes, who's to say, but Jamal Murray seems to be like one of the key, key elements of that team. And just like the way that he doesn't ever give up that to me, like, especially in that Lakers game, right? the Lakers series to me, I was watching that series and I was really impressed with Jamal Murray, even though he didn't shoot that great. Like for the Lakers series, he shot seven for 12, eight for 19, 10 for 17, 12 for 27 for 17, you know, against Lakers guards, he should have shot probably better. But the fact that he was trying hard, like look at the free throw attempts. He shot four in game one, eight in game two, seven, eight, five. Like that's free throw attempts to me are usually a result of heart. And to me, I just, like, you can't quantify that. Like, that's one of the ways you can, but just like, I feel like he's got such like a drive and determination. And I feel like if you put it all together, then that's really valuable for your team.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And like, you know, he does have some kind of sweat equity there with the Nuggets. Like he's, he's been there for a long time now. And like, he's been with Jokic all this time. And, Um, if you can keep those two together and then, you know, get that third guy, I mean, that would be great. And like, I'm definitely rooting for that because I've been a fan of this team for a while now. And, and, uh, you know, there's going to be some changes like Millsap's probably not going to be there. Um, I think Jeremy Grant turned on his player option, didn't he? So there's, there's a chance there could be some major changes, but, um, you know, if they can keep those two together and add another guy, that would obviously be ideal.
0: Certainly would. And I, I can hear the energy starting to drain from your voice. So we'll hit these last couple pretty quick, pretty quick for you. This has been a long one, but you know, we have so many teams to pack in since the league will be completely different this time next week. So the next team that we already talked about Boston. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the Clippers and the Clippers to me is pretty obvious. They need a point guard who can do a little bit of scoring. And he's really good at distributing Kyle Lowry archetype, right? Not like, not really Kyle Lowry, the player, right? Like not actually Kyle Lowry, but someone, someone on offense who can do what Kyle Lowry does. That to me is what they need.
1: Yeah. a like, dynamic point guard is definitely the main thing because I mean, having like, you can have Kawhi create for you, but it's kind of it's just too much isolation. Like a lot of the other guys are not going to be involved a ton, and I just I mean Paul George has he's, he's improved as a creator a lot, um, especially since getting to Oklahoma City. But like again, you just you just don't want him to be a lead creator for you, and like getting getting a point guard to set those two up would be great, um, and then I. We've talked about this before, but I think if they got like a favors or a Tristan Thompson, um, again, it's not a need because Zubac is fine. Like he's if you have him and then, you know, a, a dynamic point guard plugged in there, you're good. But I mean, getting favors or Thompson, I think, would uh, would solidify a lot of things defensively for you and, and even shore up some things offensively as well.
0: Yeah, I'd like – I really like Serge Ibaka for them if he doesn't stay in Toronto. Yeah, Abaka too would be great. Like, that to me is, like, my favorite center for them. But if they get Tristan or Derek Favors, like, they can't really complain about that, right? Like, those three guys, whoever gets them is going to be really happy. Like, people have forgot about how good Tristan Thompson is, but they're going to remember when he's make, playing impactful minutes again. Like, he's, he's a good player. He was a good player even when people thought he fell off in 2018. So – you know, I, I agree with both of those. That's pretty simple. The Lakers, our least favorite team, at least if you listen to this podcast, that's probably what you would come away with. Um, to me, the, the, the need is simple, right? I think two needs. They definitely need a center because they're not going to get what they got on Dwight Howard again next year. There's just – you cannot bet on it. If he gives you what he gave you last year, that's great. He's not going to – Dylan – We've had four, like sixteen, seventeen years with Dwight Howard. We know what Dwight Howard is. That was that was definitely an aberration. You know, good on the Lakers for corraling him for a year. But whoever's going to sign him next year is going to be sorely disappointed. Um, and they need a, they need a guard. They need better guard play. Rondo was great, but I I can see Rondo going somewhere else. And you need so, you need better point guard production anyway. Like in the regular season, at least Rondo was great in the playoffs, but I think that's that's what they need for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about their guard play all all year, and they st- they figured it out. I mean, having LeBron helps, but like all all the problems we talked about them having, they just overcame. So I feel like we're the least qualified to talk about this right now, because all of our all of our criticisms just completely crumbled beneath us.
0: Turns out uh, KCP is a good player.
1: Yeah, KCP really ruined a lot for us. Um, but I, I hey, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm, to
0: be wrong about KCP. I'm, I'm glad yeah, to be wrong.
1: I'm happy. I'm happy that he came through. I mean, that he had like an eight point stretch. And I think it may have been the last game of the finals. It was like it really set things up for the Lakers. I'm like, wow, like this is actually happening. Um, but with that being said, I still think that the shooting could become more consistent because Danny Green is a problem. Like
0: it's me. not like they, it's not like Danny Green is a problem. Like you see those Instagram captions, though. No, Danny Green is actually a problem. <laughs>
1: yeah like he is he's a problem in a bad way like uh, i mean he was really bad this year and like i i i haven't been a huge fan of him in a couple years like even with the raptors last year i don't think he was great it didn't really matter because he was like the least important player on that team it seems like that's that's what
0: that's what i thought about him in toronto right he was the fifth option literally so he was usually always wide open
1: yeah, it didn't really matter what he did. Like, if he had a good game, it was gravy. If he didn't, it didn't really matter because they just didn't rely on his scoring, so it didn't matter. But this Lakers team needed him to be that third guy a lot of games, and he just wasn't. And luckily for them, they were able to get, you know, third-piece third, third piece type of production out of a few different guys. So it didn't end up killing them, but – Moving forward, you just can't rely on them. It's been proven. So if they can get another shooter and, like you said, um, some sort of a creator um, at the guard position, that would be fantastic.
0: If they can convince Bogdan Bogdanovich, the other Bogdanovich, just in case I didn't make myself clear enough, to take, like, a really small contract, (sighs) it's probably a pipe dream for Lakers fans, but... Because Bogdan is way too good to do that. But, man, just some kind of creator, like, even on that level. You know, better production. Like, this team was so flawed. How the fuck did they win the championship? I know how they won the championship. They have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. (laughs) But, like, Mark Markeith was playing a big role for them. Markeith Morris. um, Alex Caruso. Like, it's crazy. This team, like, if you just... On paper, right? This is why you don't win championships on paper. Because on paper, the Clippers were the best team, and we saw what happened to the Clippers. Yeah. On paper, Jamal Murray should have toasted the Lakers. I mean, he kind of did, but kind of didn't. You know, on paper, just a lot of things don't happen because the Lakers have LeBron James. <laughs> That's it's really that simple. Um. Yeah, the Lakers. Again, we are. No, we're, I don't think we're certified Lakers haters yet. We're, we're pretty close to it, but I think if they can get a couple, like really good veteran free agents who want to try a free agency again in 2021, I think that's their, that's their ticket right there to repeat. I think that they have, they have to come into the next year with the best title odds. Like you can't convince me that this wouldn't have worked even in a regular, like a regular environment. I don't think it would have been as dominant I think they would have probably struggled on the road a little more, especially the shooters. But you just can't convince me that they wouldn't have won even in a regular season after watching the way they just destroyed the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and like to be fair, I mean, it was it wasn't an easy road, but I mean they did they did beat Denver pretty handily. So that was that I think that was the most impressive part of their playoffs because I mean the Heat were hurt, you know. Like they were not a fully healthy team, and like not having Drogic out there really made things tough for the Heat because there was no one near Drogic. Like the role that Drogic was playing, no one could fill that role, and like we saw, Hero kind of got stretched too thin. Like it, the, the Lakers made got really lucky with that because I think it at least would have went seven um, if the Lakers ended up winning. But a healthy Heat team, I still think would have would have probably beaten them. So they definitely got lucky. But I do agree that moving into the next season, there they should be the title odds uh, leaders, just because you know having those two guys, it it really sets them apart from from most teams. But um, and it's kind of funny comparing them to the Clippers because I actually think that that the Lakers actually may have more of a more of a, a roster that could stay around those two guys than the Clippers because I think the Clippers couldn't – it wouldn't shock me if the Clippers made a bunch of wholesale changes. I mean, you know, it, I don't – if they do end up trading for a guy like Westbrook, obviously you're going to have to put a bunch of pieces in a trade. Um, you know, Marcus Morris is a free agent. He could leave. So – the Lakers may end up having more continuity than the Clippers did, which would which is weird compared to like where we were last season. Um, right, with the Clippers having you know the best one to fifteen roster, which did not end up being the case. But uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. I still think the Lakers have a long way to go if they're going to hope to repeat.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough because repeating is always tough. But I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm done betting against LeBron. That's, that's really all it's come down to, right? Like, I, like, I always knew LeBron was the best player coming into the series, right? And I always knew that, like, oh, it's basketball, you always bet on the better player. But it's like, this season I thought was different. And in the East, it was different. <laughs> the better, the better players usually ended up losing, with the exception of uh, the Boston Toronto series. But yeah, it's, I'm just not betting against LeBron James. Like it's it's that, really that simple. I'm not betting against him because he proved all of us wrong so many different ways. And it was really a tour de force. Like this is what this is I can't even say it was one of his best playoffs because 2018 was how the hell did he pull that off with that team? Like how did he get to the finals with that team? So it was it was really just a, another I guess another walk in the park for LeBron <laughs> in the tougher Western Conference. I I'll say this. You said they got lucky. I mean, Zach Lowe always points this out. Every champion gets lucky, you know? Like, yeah. 2013 Heat. If the ball bounces a different way, the Spurs are champions. 2015 Warriors. If Kyrie and Kevin Love are healthy, there's a pretty good chance that the Cavaliers are champions that year. You just go through all these different like scenarios, right? You know, 2016. If Draymond doesn't tackle Michael Beasley in the first round, which... <laughs> People always talk about the Steven Adams and LeBron James thing, but they don't ever concentrate on how fucking stupid that was. Like, he just bull-tackled Michael Beasley as the buzzer expired and just got himself a fucking flagrant point for no reason. So, we love Draymond. He's an incredibly smart basketball player who does really stupid things sometimes. <laughs> it's part of it's part of being a basketball genius, you know? No one can ever tame, tame your genius. Um, Toronto, don't feel like we need to spend a lot of time on them because... They, they're just way too confusing. There's 75 different ways they could go, and I don't think you could boil it down to just, like, one specific need. Like, I think they could tank. They could try to run it back. They could try to get Giannis next year. So many different possibilities with the Raptors.
1: Yeah, I could see them doing a one-year kind of last hurrah, but I don't know. If if Ibaka leaves, I think he'd probably try to trade Lowry because – and I don't know what the market would be because all of a sudden there's a lot of point guards on the market now. I mean, you got Holiday on the market. You got Westbrook. You know, we don't know about Harden and Beal, who's not a point guard, but Beal could be available. So, like, I don't know. I don't know how many teams are necessarily going to be looking for a guard. And, sadly, Kyle Lowry is kind of down the pecking order as we stand right now. So, I don't know. Um, I – you know, I – I'm with you. They could go, they could go in either direction, but, uh, and of course, Fred Van Vliet could also leave. And, and he has confirmed he's looking for the bag, which we knew was going to happen, but he did say it. He I confirmed mean, it.
0: Is, so, that, is that a surprise to anybody? Is anybody surprised yeah. that he's looking for the bag?
1: No. And he deserves it, man. Like he, he was playing on a pretty cheap contract, um, for those two years. So he, he deserves it. And, uh, I'm happy that he's going to be a New York Knicks. You know, it's, it's very well deserved for him. And I'm sure Zach Griffith will have plenty of jokes to make about it. But hey, you know, he's that's happy. I heard
0: he was going to be a Detroit Piston.
1: Oh, what? If that's the case, I am not happy for him because that is very depressing. I, you know, at least with the Knicks, like from a basketball standpoint, you know what you're getting. But like you get this you get the city of New York, you know, like it's at least you have that. You got Madison Square Garden. Going to Detroit, man, I mean that is horrible. Like there's there's nothing there.
0: Is Detroit like, basketball hell right now?
1: Detroit basketball is hell. And I wish I had Blake Griffin's number. I'd love to call him up and have a candid conversation about this. Because I'm sure he has plenty of uh Great things to say about Detroit basketball at the moment.
0: Um, <laughs> I don't know where they go from that. Um, trade Lowry to the Western Conference, tra- trade him to a contender, or keep trade him to Miami. You know, just somewhere where he can contend for another championship. Lowry winning another championship will make me happy. We all know how much I love Kyle Lowry. That's if you listen to this podcast for five minutes, you know how much I love him. But <laughs> Yeah, Toronto's at a crossroads. It'll be curious to see where they go. I, I could see them blowing it up and trying to tank. By all accounts, next year's, I heard, I think it was Vicini or someone say that there's like seven or eight guys that get in next year's draft class that would go number one this year. So, wow. I heard somebody say it. I don't remember who, but they're draft experts and I'm not. So, I'm going to take their word for it. It was either Vicini or I think it was Vicini, but someone said it. Um, as for our last team, they're at a different kind of crossroads. The Milwaukee Bucks. And they're fascinating. So their need is obvious. They need to upgrade from Bledsoe. There's also another little need that they have that is not as obvious to, like, the average viewer. But they need athleticism. They're not an athletic team. They have, like, no, like, other than Bledsoe and Kubo. who do they have that's athletic? Like, who? Like, he's not even like what kind of athlete they need. So are you
1: saying they don't need a baseball player? Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> I'm saying, yes, the white man can jump, but can you slide? How's your lateral? How's your lateral quickness? <laughs>
1: <coughs> That's not important in basketball, man. Come on,
0: <laughs> God. But, I mean. What, what do you have for the Bucks? Because I, I think we could kind of agree here.
1: Well, see, the thing about upgrading Bledsoe is you can do it, and maybe, maybe if Lowry is available, you can figure that out. Like, that probably wouldn't be a hard trade for them to make. Um, but they don't seem to care about Chris Paul, which is the trade they should make if they're mm-hmm. really all in. And, I mean, Westbrook is just way too much money. Like, I don't... I don't see how that would
0: work. Westbrook would be miserable in Milwaukee too. <laughs> yeah. That that's just
1: a bad fit on a bunch of different points, but um like I, I think I think the Bucks should be in desperation mode because they could lose Giannis here, and I'm not sure if this really helps them, but I think Giannis should be at the five. Like Oh yeah. I mean, there's just if he's going to play that way, there's just not enough room. You can't have two – because he's a center. Like, you can't have two centers on the floor. It's just – and even though Lopez is a shooter, like, it's just – I I just don't think having Giannis at the four makes sense anymore because, I mean, Giannis can play center on both ends of the floor. Like, he, he is a great defender. He's so long and tall. Like, who cares? Like, I don't think he's going to take a – you know, everyone worries about these physical beatings you take at the center.
0: Yeah. This is think, giving out the physical beatings.
1: Yeah. I, He's that's abusing just not, centers. Yeah. That, I, I'm not concerned about that at all. And it seems like Bud is just too traditional. I don't know. Somehow Bud became traditional, you know, <laughs> the league right. just changes so quick, but it's like, I just, I don't think, and I don't know. You, you know, you probably don't trade uh, Lopez. If that's the case, you can, have him come off the bench I guess, but like I I just think having Giannis at the five as much as possible, uh would make them way tougher to guard.
0: And it's like and it feels like for years we've been hearing about oh the Bucks, such an athletic team, such an athletic team. Where the fuck is their athleticism? Brooke Lopez, God bless his soul, like he's he's down to throw a few like crazy dunks down from time to time, but like <laughs> He's not good on the perimeter, right? They need better perimeter defense. Giannis at the five stores up those issues. Giannis weighs as much as most centers do. Hell, like we were saying earlier in the Pacers section, Giannis, it says he weighs 242. I would guess he's closer to 250 or 260. Like, that doesn't feel right. He's stronger than that because how the hell does he bully centers? He bullies centers. There's no reason for him not to play center. Like, oh, he's going to get bullied. Bullshit. He is going to do the bullying. It doesn't, it literally defies the mind. But you're right. Bud is becoming really conservative. <laughs> really conservative. The defense he plays, really conservative. And you put, like, they were playing really hard against Robinson and they left Dragic wide open, right? You were pointing that out while, like, we were texting about the games. You were pointing that out to me constantly. Like, they're leaving Dragic wide open. And it's like, of course, the Heat, we're going to beat them. I think the Heat would have probably beat them even with home court advantage. Like they just had their number that way. Spo is such a better coach. It's crazy because when they when the Bucks hired Bud, they're like, oh my god, I mean to be fair, hiring anybody over Jason Kidd is an improvement, but it was um stark improvement, but even the stark improvement only translated to the regular season. Bud is like defensive Dantoni, where he doesn't change his like he doesn't make adjustments. He just does the same shit like, oh, process, our process will win. No, no. If the other team is doing things that will beat your process, it won't win, bud. So they're not going to fire him. And I just like <sighs> the Bucks are so frustrating. And Giannis, if they lose Giannis, they kind of deserve it personally, at, at least from my my point of view.
1: Yeah, and like I mean, it started with letting Brogdon go like
0: that. Yeah, that's that, indefensible.
1: Yeah. It it and it really wasn't even that much of a financial reach for them to just re-sign him like you know, and, and people have said that, you know, Brogdon wanted to leave and they were just being being nice to him like they wanted to give him an opportunity. But like I don't know if that's the way a business should operate like I understand you want to have goodwill with your players. Um, It looks good around the league to do that, but I don't know, man. Like that was a really important piece for them and not having him there now, like there's a glaring hole. I mean, the shooting, the shooting can be replicated, but the defensive stuff, it's, it's tough to fill that hole. So I don't know. I, I don't know what they do. I mean, You know, even if you go Giannis at the five, like, there's still issues. And, like, outside of Middleton, there's a lot of unreliable pieces and a lot of old shooters that, like you've said, are just not athletic. I mean, there's – they better hope Giannis is loyal because it's it's very easy for them to see the same thing happening next year that happened this year where they lose in the second round to one of these other contenders in the East – and Giannis may just look around the landscape and be like, "There's just there's better places to go." And I mean, everyone's talking about Miami, but like Toronto, I think Toronto would be great for him. Like having having someone like Nick Nurse there, and and obviously Ujiri is is probably the best GM in the league too. It's like that's I don't know how you look at Toronto and don't get really attracted to
0: that. Toronto, Dallas, like there's so many better options, like the grass. I mean, the grass is definitely greener. And OK, going back to the Bragdon thing, right? I just while you were talking, I was looking up the net worth of the owners, right, of the bucks here. Like the three main guys are worth about combined seven billion dollars. Are you telling me that they can't afford to pay an extra ten million dollars in luxury tax? Are you kidding me? That's insulting to our intelligence. Like, and we saw as soon as Brogdon went to Indiana, like, Brogdon just looked so much better. And Bledsoe looked exactly the same. And Bledsoe is never good. like, Bledsoe's not a playoff player. I hate to say it because I like him, right? He's not a playoff player. And it's, uh it's so frustrating. And I just wish, I wish the Bucks weren't so goddamn cheap. Because they, like, they honest to goodness blew it. Right. Like they missed a wide open layup. They had Giannis, right. This guy just like oozes Milwaukee, you know, and now he's in danger of leaving. Like you said, they better hope he's loyal. They better hope that he values, you know, you know, stability being in the same place, because if he doesn't, they deserve to lose him. Just plain and simple. Right and it's like Middleton is a great player, but Middleton to me can't be anything like Middleton's a 2.5 option. You know, Middleton's not a first option to me. Like he's not like, I guess I would say second option would be better way to say what I was trying to say, but just like, he can't be your first guy. You can't win with Chris Middleton as your first guy. He can't be Kobe. And they need a Kobe to Giannis is Shaq. I don't, I don't think Milwaukee's going to get one. I, I just – I don't think that's possible.
1: No, and I like Middleton a lot. I think he's a solid second option, but um, but sometimes the third option is, is as important as the second option, you know? Like – and again, I mean, hell, even if they just replaced Bledsoe with a guy like Drogic, I mean that's a massive improvement. Right. and. And Drogic isn't even, like, an insanely good player anymore. But, like, as we saw with Miami, man, when he gets hot from three, he can completely blow a series open. And if you design the right offense to get him open shots, he's going to get a lot of good looks. And, like, a guy like that would be great. And Bledsoe is just not – like, he's not a good shooter, which really limits the offensive upside of that team, which is already a really good offense. But – it could be even better if you had an upgrade there, and you know Bledsoe's a good defender, but like it's just the offense. He gets exposed on offense every playoffs. If he's if he runs into Brad Stevens, it's over. <laughs> like we know yeah. Brad Stevens has his number, um, and the Celtics I don't think are going away anytime soon. So, and Brad Stevens isn't even the best coach in the East at this point. So, I mean, like it's like almost any team that's worthwhile in the east that he runs into he's gonna get exposed and when you have when you know that going into a series it's like almost demoralizing to be a buck like you know that one guy that you've relied on all season is just not going to be the same and I mean it just puts way too much weight on Giannis and Middleton at that point
0: yeah yeah it's the Bucks are so frustrating, but it's we're already running long. This is the I'd say this is the longest one we've done in a few months. We've been really good about keeping it short, but this is a this is a special occasion because you know, like we said, like we keep breaking up. The league is going to look drastically different ten days from now, and we can't do a preview pod in the middle of free agency slash the draft. That's just, it's not feasible. So. Um, Dylan, I want to thank you so much for your time. This was, you know, even though it was long, the long, like I said, the longest one we've done in a while. It was still a blast. I love talking basketball with you, man. So excited to see the what happens in free agency next week.
1: Me too, man. We've got some good pods coming up because the next two weeks the league is gonna just flip on its freaking back. So I can't wait to see what happens.
0: And. You know, you got to make sure you check out the other shows on the on the network, because even though basketball season is very close to starting, football season is in our midst and you're not going to want to miss our uh, coverage, especially the NFL coverage on Linsanity with Caleb Lynn. this week he had an episode with his co-host, Bryce Shaddy. Jacob Keith joined. That was a fun episode. Um, he also is going to have his monologue pod that I'll have out on Thursday. Um, triple option pass. Devin Voss, huge Notre Dame fan huge Notre Dame fan. The guys, you know, are huge, you know, mid-major fans and mid-majors had a huge week this week. So you're going to want to check out that episode. That's probably going to be one of the best episodes of the content we put out. I, I, Dylan, I'm not lying to you. when I say I'm not more excited to hear anything than Devin joyous after that beautiful Notre Dame win. I, I am not, there's not much that I've been more anticipating listening to. So I'm sure that won't let me down. Um, Circle City Cinema—they just did an episode on Alfred Hitchcock's *Psycho* and Jordan Peele's *Get Out*. So that was a good episode. And also, they touched on Sean Connery's death and *Battleground*. They'll have an episode out this week too. Really busy week on the network. I've had a couple episodes. Um, you know, I did an episode with Caleb on Monday. I'm going to record an episode this week with our good friend William Hogsett. We're gonna we're gonna do the debate. We're gonna have the debate. MJ versus LeBron, baby. It's finally happening. You know. Me and Hogset, you're not going to want to miss that. And um, Dylan, I want to thank you once again for joining me.